Let us pray. God of light and life, open our eyes as well as our ears so that we may not only hear your word preached today, but then see your word lived out in our lives and in your world through Christ our Lord, the light of the world. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 through 6. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The gospel reading this morning is taken from the chapter, the book of Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. 
Joy is often conflated with happiness or mixed around with happiness. We think of it sometimes as an emotion, but scripture gives us joy as a way of life. Just like the other three, uh, excuse me, the other three Sundays of Advent, hope, peace, and love, joy is not just something we feel. It's something we do. Joy is deeper than being just an emotion. And just like the other three, joy is connected intricately to the way we treat others. Joy is a state of our heart, not just our emotions. Joy is something that bubbles out of a heart living in true repentance. John the Baptist is a funny guy to encounter on the Joy Sunday of Advent, but here he is in our lectionary passages this morning. You brood of vipers, he yells at the crowd, and then he tells them to start giving away their stuff. But John the Baptist is talking here about how to live a joyful life. He isn't giving anyone the key to happiness, but he is telling them how to live into joy, which is a different thing entirely. John tells the crowd, put your money where your mouth is. Walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. This is where you find real joy in living into the ways of God. The people have come to John claiming repentance, but he's warning them that you can pray like crazy, you can go to worship regularly, but true repentance shows itself by kindness, generosity, good stewardship, the things that not only tap into deep and real joy in our own lives, but that share it with those around us. True repentance changes the way a person handles their money and their physical assets. It changes how a person conducts themselves in regards to public service and community involvement and their engagement with the people around them. Listen, John says, You are the children of Abraham, but you can't rely on the faithfulness of your ancestors for your own repentance and security of future. They have spent centuries relying on their status as the chosen of God, and now John rips that carpet of safety right out from under them. God doesn't need them. If God wanted, the stones would rise up and become the children of God, leaving the unrepentant people alone and without God, tossed in the fire. How incredible then that God doesn't do that. We are offered repentance, the real repentance that John is talking about. It's a repentance that is marked by community renewal, by revival, rejoicing, celebration, and by acts of unbelievable kindness and hospitality. John says in this speech, if you have two shirts or two coats or two pairs of shoes, and you come across someone who has no shirt or no coat or no pair of shoes, give them one of yours. If you have a hearty meal and another person has no food, share that meal with them. Be fair in all your business transactions and deal with everyone holding yourself to the highest standards of ethics and fairness. Don't extort or weasel money from other people and don't bully anyone. Don't accuse people falsely of evil deeds or even of evil intentions. And it sounds a bit 
like John is giving an ethics lecture at first, but what he's doing is connecting full transformation, including transformation of one's ethics and values and the deepest state of the heart to true repentance. True repentance is marked by such vibrant gratitude for the incredible grace given to us by God that we turn around and do wild, incredible, wonderful things for other people. Our whole way of being changes, not just our spiritual way of being or our religious practice. When we embrace this life of joyful giving and robust generosity, it not only allows space in our own hearts for joy, it passes that joy on to those around us. Once upon a time, there was a couple traveling in a foreign land. They didn't speak more than half a dozen words of the local language, and neither of them had ever been there before. They didn't know anyone in the whole country, and they were by far in the religious and ethnic minority there. When they arrived at the airport in a tiny town in the middle of nowhere in that country, they waited at the luggage carousel for their suitcases to pop onto the belt. Many suitcases came and went, but theirs were nowhere to be found. They were in the middle of nowhere in a place they didn't speak the language, and all they had was their ID, their money, and the clothes on their backs. They were clearly frightened and very anxious. Trying to calm them down, one of the security guards shouted loudly to see if anyone could translate for them. And after a few moments of the crowd looking around at one another and shrugging, a young man stepped forward and said, I can translate for them. He led them through the process of filing the claim about their luggage and gave them all of the paperwork, telling them to give it to the desk at the hotel and they could help them sort it out from there. And the couple teared up as they thanked the young man and shook his hand gratefully. He smiled and told them he was happy to give them his time. When the couple got to their hotel, tired and hungry and late into the evening, they did as they were instructed, and the hotel staff was indeed able to help them figure out when and where they could be reunited with their luggage. Unfortunately, it would not be until the next day. When they asked about finding something to eat, the hotel staff informed them that at this time in the evening, in this small town, all the shops and restaurants were closed. Even the restaurant at the hotel was closed. It was a holy holiday, and all the town was at home eating with their families. Deflated and hungry, they sighed heavily, defeated. Wait, wait! exclaimed a second man behind the desk. I know a place. I'm going now. Come with me. And so confused, the couple shrugged and followed him. They were so tired and hungry, they were willing to try anything. He led them to a closed restaurant and in through a side door in the alley. They climbed the stairs to the rooftop terrace of that restaurant where the family who ran the restaurant were sitting down to share their holiday feast together. They gladly offered seats at the table for the strange foreigners and served them a four-star multiple-course meal. Are you sure? The couple managed to ask with the help of their dictionary and their new friend from the hotel. Of course, they were told. We have plenty and you are hungry. Nobody should be hungry or alone for the feast day. 
So that night, Tim and I made a whole family of new friends in the middle of nowhere in Turkey. We broke the Ramadan fast by feasting with a kind Muslim family who took us in when we were tired, anxious, afraid, and hungry. We will never forget the kindness of that family or of the young man Mustafa, a medical student who had studied in the United States, who we met at the airport. We were the next morning united with our luggage and moved on through our trip. But that night on that rooftop, we learned a humbling lesson about what true giving and hospitality look like. We were shown what it looks like to share with those who are hungry from the other side of the story, from where we usually find ourselves. We were shaken out of our comfortable American mode of always having enough. And in that place of vulnerability, we saw God moving in a place that surprised us very much. That was the most joyful moment of that entire trip. That evening when we were shown such incredible generosity and kindness and friendship. In retrospect, I wish we'd kept in touch, that we'd gotten some contact information to email Mustafa and the rooftop restaurant family, whose names we didn't even know. I would like to thank them for their unhesitating generosity. I would like to ask them if they need anything now in the midst of the flood of refugees fleeing Syria into and through Turkey. I would love to tell them that we're still praying for them all these years later, still thanking God for them, these kind people who took in a couple of weird Christians on their holy day. But sometimes... We are called to give to people we will never see or hear from again, just for the sheer joy that comes from loving God's fellow creations. Sometimes giving is totally unplanned. Someone literally showing up on your doorstep with nowhere else safe to go or nowhere else to find food or warmth or shelter. And that's the most powerful sort of giving. And that is the kind of fruit, joyful fruit, that John the Baptist is talking about in Luke 3. It's not just a matter of ethics. It's a matter of repentance. It's a matter of entire life change. It's not just a matter of willing ourselves to do the right thing. It's a matter of living into joy so that it spills over into how we interact with all those around us. It's a matter of living into the grace that is given us in Jesus Christ. It's a matter of embracing the unexpected joy that comes from following God's commands to be kind and generous to all people. We don't just give a little sometimes because that's what makes us nice people. So don't just talk about joy. Live joy. Be someone who sees someone hungry and doesn't just give them dinner but gives them dessert too. Live joy. Be someone who doesn't just toss a little change in the offering plate, but who truly invests in the future of their faith community. Live joy. Be someone who doesn't just pray for families who don't have much, but who buys gifts for them. Go out today and live joy. Amen.